0: This is not the voice you were expecting. Please do not hit the stop button. Um, you, if, if you weren't expecting my voice this week, well, shame on you for missing last week's episode of B and Q. Hi, I'm JP. I'm also known as the other Josh. Uh, I'm I'm no Josh, but well, I am Josh. Anyway, I'm JP and I'm hosting uh, for the second week in a row. Uh, but don't worry, Josh is here. He will be joining us on the panel and. Uh, He'll be back as the host next week when everything returns back to normal, or at least as normal as B and Q could ever possibly be.
1: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Insert so, Woody Woodpecker reference there. Joining me, joining me on the panel this week is Ed. Hello, everyone. And you know him, you love him, Josh.
1: Hi, everybody. Hi, Doctor Dr. Dr. Nick. Nick. <laughs> I said that because of the topic we're going into tonight. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely. Uh, Tonight we are going to be talking about um, who belongs on... Well, actually, Josh, um, this is uh, the first of a multi-episode installment that we'll be revisiting. So, Josh, tell us more about this.
1: Well, of course. So, uh, we at B&Q have decided that we we have taken it upon ourselves to decide who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of nerd culture. Now, we don't have the funds yet to build a giant rock and carve these four people. We will if you donate to a future Patreon. Ha <laughs> uh, But, for the time being, we've decided we're going to pick the four people who most deserve to be on Nerd Mount Rushmore. Of course, that means that we're going to have to pick people who belong on Mount Rushmore's of specific parts of nerd culture, and then eventually down the line, we're going to figure out how to compare them against each other. So, in this series, you will eventually hear about the Mount Rushmore of video gaming, comics, film, and literature. Specifically, science fiction and fantasy literature. But tonight, we're in JP's wheelhouse, which means we're going to be talking about.
0: Television.
1: The Mount Rushmore of television. Nerdy television, to be specific. Yes, sir. Take it away, JP.
0: Yeah. So, um, first off, I, I'm I'm really honored to be the host of this, and to be the host of the first of the uh, the Mount Rushmore series, and just to be the first panelist that's guest hosting. It's, there's so much to be honored by here. So, so thank you very much. I am not taking this lightly, Josh. Seriously, um, well, I, I've I've kind of <laughs> I've kind of been a TV junkie all of my life, both inside and outside of nerd culture. Um, I used to come home from school every day catching, you know, Nickelodeon series like Doug and Rugrats. And then later on in the evening, getting to watch Star Trek The Next Generation with my mom was definitely one of my favorite memories as a child. Um, Then uh, I I, I remember catching the Sci-Fi Channel in the 90s. Um, which was amazing. Uh, the S Y F Y thing they got going now, not so much. <laughs> Although
1: I've heard the Expanse is really good. Haven't watched it yet, but I've heard it's good.
2: Okay. Shark- Sharknado Six: The Sharkening.
1: <laughs> I'm just waiting for Sharknado to be finished.
0: Oh. Ha. Or 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 uh, uh shark or sh- the, the the time that Sharknado became Sharknado. Ha.
1: Well, did, did you the see when they did the Sharknado? A few good men crossover. It was called "You Can't Handle the Tooth."
0: <sighs> oh my god! <laughs>
2: is
1: it is All it right.
2: is it safe to say that the Sharknado films are bilge worthy? Oh, <laughs> oh!
1: Uh.
2: <laughs>
0: nice one, Ed. Very All right. nice. On that note, Josh, do we have any other announcements or orders of business to talk about?
1: Uh, Just continue thanking people for uh, putting those reviews up there. We we encourage you last week to please continue putting reviews on iTunes, Google Play, or your your podcast purveyor of choice. And uh, hopefully that will keep people seeing us. And uh, April 2017, which is time of recording, has been a record month for downloads, and we are now over 16,000 lifetime hits on our feed, and growing exponentially every day. Uh, My birthday this year, thank you very much for my birthday present, we had 230 downloads on one day, Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you to our audience, we wouldn't be here without you guys, or, I mean, we might be, but it'd be rather pathetic, Uh, so... (laughs) Thank you for listening and buying into this unique mix of thought provoking discussion and silliness that we call B and Q. And uh yeah, thanks a lot. Just keep listening.
0: Good to said it better myself. Alright, um so Matt is once again, unfortunately, not with us this week, so we don't have a sponsor.
1: He's off cleaning the holodeck. Commander Riker was in there earlier. Uh, Ew.
0: If if only Rick was here to hear that, man. So many
2: fluids. <laughs>
0: All right, um, so I'm going to go ahead and go into the big nerdy recommendation. Um, as you know, my, my recommendations are a little bit less obscure, um, uh, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, I try to keep mine less obscure, but a little bit more relevant to the topic that we're discussing. And so um, I'm going to talk about Powerless, the DC sitcom on NBC. And it's actually billed as DC's first sitcom, which is, which is pretty cool, I, I thought. Uh, the premise of the story is that it, it takes place in Charm City, which has a a Wayne Technologies, um, a Wayne Technologies uh, child company. There, um, what they do there is uh, Wayne Security, and the main character is the head of the research and development wing, where they develop products for like for everyday people to be able to resist superpowers from both superheroes and supervillains examples include an umbrella that is capable of bouncing rubble off of you like uh, actual crumbling building pieces off of you um or or gloves that can thaw ice so in case you get frozen by a supervillain during what they like to call cold season um that that can uh, that can be a real lifesaver. There, there's all kinds of interesting things that the quirky characters come up with on that show, and and the cast is amazing too. Um, forgive me for not being for not knowing how to pronounce this name, but uh, the, the boss of the company that they work for is not Bruce Wayne, it's Van Wayne, who's a very pathetic manchild. Um, but he's played by Alan Tudyk. Tudyk can somebody Tudyk? help me out with Tudyk? Tudyk, Maybe? I'm sure. Josh, yeah
1: i have no
2: idea
0: okay but but we, 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 we all know who i'm yeah alan wash yes. wa-
2: wash from firefly moving on <laughs>
0: <laughs> that guy yeah also the the weird pirate guy from dodgeball um <laughs> so uh yeah um he's the boss uh, vanessa hudgens is the main character and she's of course adorable um th- also, the two main uh, the two main researchers are uh, Danny Pudi, the guy that played Abed from Community, and Ron Funches, who is pretty much the funniest man I've seen in a long time. Um, if you haven't seen his comedy or his character on the NBC series Undateable, uh, he, he's he's fantastic. Love the guy. Love the guy. So. Uh, I highly recommend that. Um, probably by the time this episode airs, uh, the first season is over, but it's on Hulu. Guys, if, if you haven't checked this show out yet, check it out. It's it's just it's so funny. Without further ado, I think it's time to actually go in and discuss our big nerdy question. Who goes on the Mount Rushmore of nerdy TV? Woo! So I, I laid out a couple of the ground rules for the panelists before the show. Um, we are not picking the shows themselves we're sticking to the people behind them around them on them in front of them we're talking about creators we're talking about um actors and directors uh and writers it's just everybody there so um i would love to hear what you guys have to say and i think um since, since, Josh, you never get to go first because you're too darn polite when you're the host. Josh, I would love it if you go first today.
1: All right. Now, I want to say at the outset that I do have one regret with my four choices, and that is that they're all white men. And I wish that wasn't the case, but in nerdy television, that just happens to be who I think are the four most influential people, and I'm hoping I can include more people in other things down the road. I just wanted to put that out there before I go into my first choice. Um, Choice number one. He created the longest running science fiction show in the history of television. He was also the creator of one of the most groundbreaking series that connected science fiction and spies called The Avengers. The show that he created was Doctor Who. And his name is Sidney Newman. Sidney Newman is my first candidate for the Mount Rushmore of nerdy television um, because he created the longest lasting science fiction show period. Uh, He only was in charge of British television for 10 years, but creating the Avengers and Doctor Who in those 10 years tells me that that's a huge impact. Also, you might be surprised to learn the man who created Doctor Who was not British. He was Canadian. Uh, he was born in Toronto in 1917 and then relocated to the UK where he worked in the 50s and 60s um, and then he worked for the BBC starting in 1962 was his was he necessarily a nerdy person like maybe you know some others on this list I don't think so. I think he was a producer first and foremost but the fact that he had the vision to outline such a pioneering series, and one that used time travel in a way to educate as well as entertain. I think he belongs on the Mount Rushmore. I think he's the most obscure of my four choices, but I think he definitely belongs.
0: Good choice, Josh. Excellent. I'm um, I'm not too uh, I'm not too knowledgeable about Doctor Who, um, but Ed, do you have anything you'd like to say there? I completely agree
2: with uh, Josh's choice. Um, Doctor Who is one of the most influential sci-fi programs ever, and uh, he said longest running. And yes, there have been you know uh, periods of time where the show was not on the air in the uh, late '80s and throughout the '90s, with the exception mm-hmm. of the movie, and then it came back in 2005. And it's bigger than ever. I mean, whole generations of uh, fans love this show, and it has such an impact on the sci-fi and fantasy community. I mean, and like he said, it started out as a like an, a pseudo-educational program because the original pitch for the show was to be, like, you know, first and foremost, like a, an informative thing for the kids as well, as having this the space and time travel and all that stuff. I 100% agree with that choice.
1: And that's why in the first season you have a lot of the series set in various historic periods, like the Aztec. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that they intentionally, they had a few story arcs set in future and other planets, which is where you get the Cybermen, but... Mm-hmm. The first season is almost entirely historical trips, and that's why.
2: It, it, it's it's sad that the show has kind of gotten away from that, uh, in largely in the you know the more recent seasons because it's it's seldom that they actually go to historical places anymore. It's more just you know present day or futuristic.
1: I think it's because historical A is probably more expensive because you have to get it right. Yeah. But B it may hem your your creativity in because I mean, you have, you can't contradict something that was in the past without going crazy. Although they did it when they had a giant Cyberman around Victorian England and when the Statue of of Liberty was a a, a (laughs) weeping angel. So I mean, they've done it, but it kind of strains credulity. Whereas setting it in the future, you can't really argue it's implausible because it hasn't happened. But Sidney Newman set the groundwork for it. And also if you can find a picture of Mr. Newman, he has the best Canadian pencil mustache of anyone I've ever seen.
0: I actually <laughs> just looked up a picture of him just now, and I totally agree.
1: So for that alone, and carving the mustache will be a challenge, but duly worth it. Uh, he, looks som- he looks sort of like a a cross between Hercule Poirot and Charles Nelson Reilly. <laughs> uh, uh, for those of you that might be able to picture those two having a love child. So after Sidney Newman... My second choice is the man who is responsible for, in my opinion, the most influential series in terms of writing in the history of television. The man who every week took us to a zone beyond comprehension, the Twilight Zone. My second pick is Rod Serling. Uh, Rod Serling gave us so many amazing stories. Every week, a different script. And what most people don't realize is a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes were written by Serling himself. It's like the Hair Club for Men. He wasn't just the owner. He was a a writer as well. Uh, (laughs) Rod Serling's presence at the beginning of each Twilight Zone episode is iconic, and his narration is both... Chilling and also inviting, if that makes sense. He was the Robert Stack of his era. Uh, If you haven't seen The Twilight Zone, first of all, what are you doing? Pause this podcast right now, go to Netflix, and watch The Twilight Zone, at least one or two episodes. uh, And you will see just how amazing The Twilight Zone is. It gave the first, uh, in in addition to the writing, it also was one of the first venues for actors to get a major screen credit. It was sort of like Law & Order for its day in that way. Uh, And both Leonard Nimoy and Bill Shatner got their first big national exposure on The Twilight Zone. In (laughs) Shatner's case, it was actually for an episode that still stands up as one of the best, where he might be seeing a monster on the wing of a plane that he's currently flying in, or maybe not. Certainly. I I don't want to give away the spoilers, because the whole point of The Twilight Zone is that every episode has what Guy de Maupassant uh, referred to as the coup de poing, or the twist. Uh, Maupassant may have created the twist back in the 1890s, but Serling is the master of the twist ending. And I don't care how many twists you see today with M. Night Shyamalan and other auteurs, Rod Serling's twists are still the best ever put to celluloid, and I will stand on that soapbox. Uh, Serling made television frightening, he made it engaging, and he deserves a place on Mount Rushmore in the Twilight Zone.
0: Absolutely. And just to, to build on that, I, I have to say, <clears> the <throat> Twilight Zone is certainly one of the most – well, actually, probably the best what-if drama ever. Um, we, we, we love our what-if questions here on B&Q, but Rod Serling wrote a lot of what-ifs. And, a lot of crazy ones like what if a guy could go back in time and attempt to stop the assassination of Abraham Lincoln what if santa claus was real what if what if hell were... was
1: actually heaven what i mean yeah, what, my, one I of forgot my about favorite episodes of the twilight zone involves the, the notion that in hell you can get everything you've ever wanted
0: Without without having to earn it, work for it. It's just it's all there, laid out for you. Yeah, that's all. You oh, ask man. for
1: it and you get it, and it's just amazing. I love that episode because it takes everything you can think about nineteen fifty society and throws it on a dime.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, I I feel like that episode of of the Twilight Zone is also the basis for the series The Good Place on NBC, uh, a show that <laughs> that is getting a season two quite deserved, quite quite. Uh, <clears throat> Quite deservingly.
1: Yes, it's a, it's a good one. And maybe Kristen Bell at some point will be considered an honorable mention for all of her work in different franchises.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go to my third choice. Uh, okay. My third choice is probably the most expected because everyone who listens to this show knows that I bleed Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek is my my nerddom. It is my franchise. And if I didn't pick Gene Roddenberry, I would have to stop doing this show. The great bird of the galaxy, Gene Roddenberry, the visionary behind Star Trek. The man who said, we will have a show with Wagon Train to the Stars. But it's not just about producing. I've I've mentioned before on this show that Roddenberry was a humanist. He firmly believed that humanity could overcome its flaws, overcome its differences, and work together for the betterment of all people, including women and minorities, which is why he put Uhura, Chekhov, and Sulu on the bridge of the Enterprise, along with an alien spot. And why he initially tried to have Major Barrett, later Major Barrett Roddenberry, cast as the first officer. It was only after executives told him he couldn't that he relented on that decision. Roddenberry believed that humanity is better than its vices, and better than what history has established. Which is why he established Roddenberry's rules for writing Star Trek, meaning that you could not have intra-Starfleet conflict. That is to say, that two officers couldn't have a fight without a justifiable reason from an outside source, like a plague, or a computer virus, or a zombie apocalypse or whatever, but there has to be an instigation from the outside if two characters are going to fight. Of course, that's going to be tweaked later on, but Roddenberry's rules still very much uh, apply in the Prime Universe, and I think it gives Star Trek its unique flavor as perhaps the most optimistic science fiction franchise of the whole bunch. In Doctor Who, just this once everyone lives, but in Star Trek, the default is that everyone will live Because the Federation is the fictional universe that I most want to live in. And for giving me that hope. And for giving the world Star Trek. And in, in addition, for inspiring countless generations of scientists and engineers to make the technology and life of Star Trek a real thing. And I say that given that they have just announced that we have a tricorder that does the same functions as the tricorder from the next generation for inspiring transportation and other technology and for having, in my opinion, the best franchise ever made. Gene Roddenberry, take your place on Mount Rushmore.
0: Couldn't have better myself, man.
1: Uh, so my one final pick is also from the Trek universe, but he bleeds into another universe that I mentioned last week. Battlestar Galactica. This is probably my most surprising pick, but I'm going with producer and writer Ronald D. Moore. And why am I going with Ronald D. Moore? You may have heard his name, but I'll tell you exactly why. He got his first major break working with Star Trek The Next Generation, and he wrote some great episodes. He was responsible largely for a lot of the Klingon story arcs, which were quite interesting. But he came into his own working on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Ronald D. Moore is the man most responsible for making DS9 a serialized series, to make an overarching story that was from episode to episode, rather than having each episode be its own self-contained entity. He then took that format and perfected it in perhaps the most polished four seasons of television ever produced in the nerdy genre, Battlestar Galactica. I will always love Star Trek as my first love, But objectively, I think Battlestar Galactica is the best science fiction series ever produced. And I have to say that Ronald D. Moore was the reason. And he has revolutionized nerdy uh, television because before him you couldn't have shows that were going from episode to episode with giant story arcs. Now, can you imagine a nerdy show that doesn't have giant story arcs? From Game of Thrones to Outlander, which he also produces, uh, from The Expanse to Westworld, everything now is in the format that he created. So, for changing the way that nerdy television is produced and written, and for producing DS9 and Battlestar Galactica, two of the best series ever put to television, Ronald D. Moore, take your place as the te- as the Teddy Roosevelt of my Round Rushmore.
0: <laughs> Very good. Those are all fantastic choices.
1: Uh, so that's my Mount Rushmore. Ronald D. Moore, Sidney Newman, Gene Roddenberry, and Rod Sterling. Uh, hopefully that will do – hopefully the listeners are okay with uh, my picks. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, let us know, by the way. We want Certainly. Your
0: thoughts on this. Certainly. So we have one Mount Rushmore down. I, I will say you, uh, you and I have a little bit of consensus, Josh. Um, but without giving too much away – uh, Ed, would you like to uh, talk about your Mount Rushmore? I would indeed. Uh, and let me say, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for all three
2: of us, it was very difficult to narrow it down to just four selections. Oh, uh, yes. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. That being said, I am the hugest of Doctor Who fans, and I almost put Sydney Newman on my list, but he didn't quite make it. So the first one I'll start with, uh, uh, and... Josh has said more about this person than I could ever say, so I'm going to start with this one first. Uh, Gene Roddenberry makes my list as well. Uh, He put it far more eloquently than I ever could. He changed the landscape of sci-fi forever. I'm not the biggest Trek fan. I'll admit this freely. But I have seen uh, bits and pieces of the original series, most of the TOS movies, Several seasons of Next Gen, Enterprise, all that stuff, all of this stems from that one man, and, and the the impact will be felt forever. And, and as Josh said, uh, science fact sometimes follows science fiction, and we are striving for new ideas and new technology based on the ideas that came from a show from the 60s. This is amazing to me. So Gene Roddenberry is my first choice, and I, I won't elaborate anymore because Josh he did it perfectly.
1: Ed, do you think it's safe to say Roddenberry is the television as George Lucas is to movies?
2: Well, I don't even think George Lucas is to movies as George Lucas used to be to movies, but uh, <laughs> uh, the, and I'm a George Lucas fan. Um, I would I would I would argue that uh, they're both on equal footing for impact in in the mediums of their choice. Yeah. Because Star Wars is something that's going to endure as long as there is a human race. Same thing with Star Trek. Even if the shows are done and the movies are done, people are still going to look back on these respective franchises uh, with fondness and and, and uh, with respect. So mm-hmm. they're going to last longer than any of us are. Uh, but that's it for my first choice. My second choice uh, pro- pro- might be the only. One, I might be the only one on this uh, panel that picks this. Uh, my second choice is actually Bruce Tim, uh, Bruce Timm, who uh, some of you may or may not know, is the influential man. He's worked on stuff uh, in the 80s, uh, such as He-Man, She-Ra, real Ghostbusters, and in the 90s, Tiny Toon Adventures. But the most impactful thing he had... On, on nerd culture is the DC Animated Universe. He was the executive producer and creator of Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited, as well as uh, you know several other shows here and there. Uh, in the nineties, when I, you know I was a young guy, young kid, and Batman the anima- Animated Series was a cartoon for kids that didn't talk down to kids. It told wonderfully uh, beautiful stories sometimes, uh, it didn't didn't pander to you, it it wasn't, it didn't talk down to you, and, uh, they've won numerous Emmys, and just told fantastic stories, and and when most people think of their definitive versions of Batman, a lot of people think Kevin Conroy from the animated series, and all that's possible because of Bruce Timm, He's, he's had a hand in so many of the things that us kids from the 80s and 90s grew up and loved that it, it, it just it lasts. And in, to this day, that's going to hold up as the, you know, that's the the bar has been set there. Everybody else needs to, to live up to it. Any input on that, guys?
1: No, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think that's a great choice. And I actually considered both him and I considered our, our good friend Eric Lee Wald. Uh, for their impact on animation um, they they didn't they kind of like they're they're my version of uh, you did the same with city Newman that I did with them. They almost made it. Uh, so I think that's a great pick.
2: okay. I'll move on to my number three. Um, I, I think this one's kind of a cheat, but not really because he's still part of the show. Uh, my my number three choice is George R. R. Martin. and as everyone knows, he's the creator of the song and Ice and the song of Ice and Fire book series, but he's also the executive producer and one of the writers on the uh, the television show Game of Thrones. And I don't think there's anyone here or on the internet that could argue that this show has not had an impact on the genre, even if you don't like the show for whatever reason. It has effectively taken uh, the fantasy genre and made it accessible for people who would not otherwise... Uh, have given it a chance. There are people in my personal life that I know who aren't the biggest of uh, fantasy fans, but they will be there every Sunday that Game of Thrones is on the television, and that is due in, in entirely to George Martin. The stories are fantastic. It 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 it's set in such a you know a dark and and uh, unforgiving setting, and everyone who watches the show generally falls in love with it and it's won numerous numerous awards since it started six years ago and there it it is set the benchmark for fantasy television moving forward here on out
1: i have no issue with the pick i think that game of thrones will probably prove to be one of the most influential series ever made in, in fantasy and nerdy culture more generally so i have no problem with it jp what do you think
0: I I think it's a great choice. Uh, It's it's impactful. Um, It's a very popular series, especially Among Us Nerds. Um, And though though I do not follow it very closely, um, I understand and respect the level of success it's had and enjoyed for a long time now. So, absolutely, George R. R. Martin definitely should be up there.
2: Uh, I struggled with who was going to be my uh, fourth and last uh, uh, nominee here, Uh, but I ended up choosing Joss Whedon. Um, throughout the late 90s and into the early 2000s, uh, you were hard-pressed to you know, not hear somebody talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel or Firefly, stuff of that nature. In the late 90s, he gave us a show, and I, I haven't seen all of Buffy, but I've seen three or four seasons of it, the strongest of strong female lead protagonists, and he gave that to us, and, and a generation of young boys and you know young men started pulling for and rooting for a female lead heroine uh, for a show. The impact is still to this day; it's there. You are getting other series with uh, female leads now, i Zombie or whatever, you know. And and I think a large part of that's due to Joss Whedon. And we we touched on earlier about you know shows getting canceled you know before their time, Firefly. It, it, it set a new precedent for the space exploration or sci-fi genre. It gave us these characters, and Joss Whedon always excelled at writing characters that were relatable to the to the uh, audience. They didn't talk like people that you wouldn't expect to exist in real life. They talked like real people. And the impact of those characters and his writing style is going to be felt moving on forever. And that's why any of my choices, I feel that, would be highly applicable because any of these uh, choices left their impact in a big, big way that's, I think, irrefutable.
0: I I think there's a a certain progressive flavor that Josh Whedon has as well. Uh, I would like to point out just really quickly, my favorite quote ever by him is he was asked one time, so why do you write all these strong female characters? And his response was, because you're still asking me that question.
2: Very good. Very good. Yeah. And like Zoe in Firefly, could you, she was arguably the strongest character in that show. And she wasn't the lead. Malcolm was the lead, but she was probably the strongest character in that show emotionally or physically. Mm-hmm. And then we all know Buffy and all that. You know, anything he puts his name to, I'll I'll give it a shot.
1: I don't think it's an accident that he was the one who decided to uh, go with the Avengers and put everyone together and make it work because we saw how successful he could be earlier on television.
2: And then you've heard the rumors, I trust, or maybe it's been substantiated. He gets to helm Batgirl. Think about that. How great that he can is. be. Oh my God, I can't wait. I Give him mean... the reins to Barbara Gordon, please.
1: I, I liked hearing that, but as, as I tweeted on the B&Q feed, as a, a librarian and archivist, Oracle is sort of my spirit superhero. So I would love to see a series with Oracle, but I'll take Batgirl.
2: Well, she started as Batgirl first. got to go somewhere with it.
1: They do. They do. We'll see if the Joker shows up in a Hawaiian shirt and a camera.
2: Ooh, that would make for some...
0: Uh... R-rated filmmaking there. <laughs> yeah, Ed, those are great choices, uh, all of them. Uh, and again, just like just like with you and just like with Josh, I had a hard time also narrowing it down to four. And I, I will explain why I took your creative route in that in just a moment. Um, but now it's time to talk about my uh, Mount Rushmore. Um, the first one that I chose, I'm just going to go ahead and let it out there, Gene Roddenberry, of course. Uh, I'm also a Star Trek fan. I cannot contribute anything more than what Josh and Ed have already said, um, other than to say that I, it's it's my childhood and adulthood go to TV show. Uh, there's so much to watch. You by the time you've watched all of it, you've forgotten most of it, and you can yes. just watch it all again. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, not only. Does each individual show promote concepts of harmony, diversity, and celebrating differences? But each cast of characters in each generation of the show themselves are so completely different from one another. It's like, it's meta diversity, is what that show is. <laughs>
1: This should be, the next series should not be discovery it should be a Star Trek diversity
0: yeah <laughs> you know one of the you're right,
2: like one of my favorite characters out of all the shows I've watched was the hollow Doc from Voyager, and he's not even a real person in in the in the um, show he's based off of a real person. Don't Certainly. worry
1: he's leading the robot uprising
2: <laughs> I want Robert Picardo leading my robot uprising. There we go there we go, <laughs> huh.
0: All right, Hashtag so yeah,
1: not my that.
0: Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's my first choice is Gene Roddenberry, of course. Um, I also, uh, along with Josh, I also chose Rod Serling. Um, definitely one of the most influential writers in the history of of sci fi television, hands down, if not the most influential. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a toss up between him and Roddenberry, honestly. Um, so so many different. So many different great shows there. Uh, so now I'm going to go. The the my last two picks are unique. My last two picks are unique from the two of you. Um, my first one probably isn't too much of a surprise. When you hear the name, you're going to immediately know. Yeah, of course JP would pick that. Um, I have to put Matt Greening up there.
1: Hey, I knew it. I knew
0: that was coming. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> Though I would not consider The Simpsons a conventionally nerdy show, it is a very intellectual show. It requires people to it, it cracks jokes that you don't get right off the bat. It makes you go and read up on what what exactly that silly thing that that Homer said even Homer cracks clever jokes on that show, and Homer's an idiot. <laughs> But but what makes that show what makes the show so clever and thought provoking are the side gags. A lot of the things you see on the signs, like is one of one of the one of uh, their favorite gags in that show is anytime they're at some venue, it'll always say tonight what's at what they're actually about to do, and then tomorrow something just off the wall funny, like like uh, <laughs> tomorrow the procrastinators convention postponed. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just every every time the, their sight their sight gags are so good, and uh, just, I, 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 can't, I, I can't explain just how thought provoking that show actually is, while also still being funny, and it, it's also an emotional show at times too. Um, one of the three things that, as a man, I'm not afraid to admit, still makes me cry a little every time I see it is the end of the episode, and Maggie makes three, where they talk about yes. the story of the birth of Maggie. Um, the other one, the, the other one of the other two things that still makes me cry every time is uh, the ending of the Futurama episode with Fry's dog. Oh, my God. And I'm oh like, that, that was rough. Which is why I'm actually going to go, pun go ahead. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was pun intended. Well done. Two in an episode, I'm on a roll. There
0: we go. Yeah, so... Oh, you're on a bender. Definitely. Oh. Definitely, um, Futurama, f- for the sake of of nerd TV, Matt Greening gets on my Mount Rushmore more and more for Futurama than The Simpsons, but Matt Groening is definitely one of, if not my favorite, car- content creator of all time. Um, yeah.
1: There is no Futurama without The Simpsons.
0: No, absolutely no. not. No way. His... Uh, his One of my favorite philosophies that Matt Groening taught in in his style of animation is that good character design is being able to recognize your characters easily in silhouette form. And that is true of every main character from both The Simpsons and Futurama and 99% of all of the supporting characters in both of those shows. I mean, just just a silhouette with absolutely no detail to it. Fry and that hair. Leela and the ponytail. Amy and the really, like, the insane-looking parted hair that she has. Um, and, of course, just the shape of the heads of all the Simpsons characters. Why not Zoidberg? Exactly. And Zoidberg, too. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I would say it might be a little difficult to tell Zoidberg and Homer apart in silhouette form.
2: Uh, they're standing uh, facing
0: the, if you can the, see
2: their hands, that's the big yes. one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm. I'm not. I. I love The Simpsons. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I admittedly have not kept up. You know, in the past, probably ten or twelve seasons, but it stands the test of time itself. And then Futurama is one of the best animated programs I have ever freaking seen. I love that show from start to finish, mm-hmm. and I would argue anyone, and I have that. Those shows, respectively, are infinitely better than a show like Family Guy, who hits the same one-trick note every single week.
1: Well, I was actually just about to say, without Matt Granig, you don't have Family Guy or anything like Seth MacFarlane. You don't have South Park.
0: That is also true. Uh, Simpsons did it.
1: (laughs) Pretty much, you don't have any adult-oriented animation without Matt Groening. Certainly, I
0: agree with that. and it's not to say, even though, yeah, it's it's fair to say that, that Family Guy does like to hit the uh, the the one trick pony, if you will. Um, it's not to say that Seth MacFarlane isn't deserving of the success that he's had.
2: No, no, but I think that it's, I think it's overblown. I don't think that that show's been good in probably
0: eight seasons or more. It, it certainly was better in its heyday. It, it was which, better before. Before it was canceled. Talking about another show that got canceled before its time. At least Fox <laughs> realized the mistake there.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Yeah. So, um, that that is my third pick. And my fourth one, I, I hope you can forgive me for doing this, but my fourth pick is actually two people, but they together form one entity that is probably responsible for revolutionizing and revitalizing science fiction at a time when it when it really could use it. And so my fourth pick is the husband-wife pair of Mitchell Rubinstein and Laurie Silvers, the two people who together devised the concept of the sci-fi channel. Hmm. Why would I pick them? They didn't really make anything. Well, no, but they they are responsible for Putting out a cable network that was devoted to sci-fi, which hadn't been done before, and at the time it allowed for—I mean, it, it, at first when it was just broadcasting reruns of sci-fi, of older sci-fi TV shows and movies—it allowed for a completely new generation to see some of the great works of the past. You know, they—they had all kinds of—they had all kinds of. Uh, they had all kinds of Old sci-fi movies from the 70s. Uh, they had. Um, they had actually the first movie. They the first thing they ever put on Sci-Fi Network when it when it launched was um, Star Wars Episode Four. Wow. Um, and yeah, and they also picked up a nationally broadcast Mystery Science Theater 3000. And they um, they they also went. They created that they had their original programming too. Not the least of which is the Stargate series. Both of them were on sci-fi, and so I'm going to say that I would never have said that sci-fi was a dying medium at the time. But when that show, when that channel launched in '92, I think it, it it gave sci-fi a a refresh, a rebirth, and really solidified it as a legitimate genre of television. That has a die-hard fan base, and I, I, I think it helps sci-fi become respectable by all critics.
1: What year was it founded?
0: It was. They came up with the idea in '89, um, but they didn't have the resources to launch it. Um, so '92 was when the concept was picked up by USA Networks, and they they launched their, uh, I, I believe. I got the facts up right here. Give me one second. They launched on September 24th, 1992, and the first thing that they put on was the Star Wars episode for A New well, Hope.
1: The reason I asked that is in 1992, all of Star Trek, which is the only major sci-fi show on at the time, yes. is still in syndication. Um, it's, it hasn't been on primetime since the 1960s. So primetime... Our broadcast networks did not want to take a chance on fantasy, science fiction. Hercules and Xena were in syndication. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to take a chance on nerdy television as their bread and butter until sci-fi. Remember that Stargate SG-1 actually premiered and ran for the first several seasons on Showtime because they were the only network willing to take a chance on it, which is coincidentally why... In the first episode of *Stargate*, if you can find the pilot uncut, there is a scene of full frontal nudity because it was Showtime and they thought they could get away with it for some weird reason. <laughs> and they never go R-rated again. The rest of the show is PG, even on Showtime. Weird. One of those weird facts of history. Um, but sci-fi changed the the marketplace. And yes, we want to we we're about content creators, but television is a business. And without having the market for our nerdy shows, you don't get HBO taking a risk on Game of Thrones.
0: Certainly not. You know, so it's huge. So uh, I'm putting I'm putting the the husband and wife duo together as one entity because they they do. Um, it, there is no clear uh, indication of one of, one of them being a larger contributor towards it. So I had to put them both together up there. That's a good choice. It's a great choice. All right, so initially I was planning on at the end of the discussion coming up with a consensus uh um a consensus Mount Rushmore for all of us. However, uh we all had one in common and then there was only one other that was picked by more than one person. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's not it's not much of a Mount Rushmore, so that that part is out. <laughs> <laughs> However, if, if we had to put a Mount Rushmore of, of television, we, we can all agree it's going to be Gene Roddenberry and then the rest of it's going to be under construction for an indefinite amount of time.
1: I think, Ed, are you okay with putting Rod Serling on there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I
2: love the Twilight Zone as much as the next guy. I, it, it didn't it, Again, it was one of those four-choice kind of things, yeah. and I've watched my share of Twilight Zone, so yeah, I'd agree with him.
1: So I think Roddenberry and Serling are probably definitive... On the two, and then after that, yeah, I'd say under construction because I honestly can't say any of the picks that you guys proposed are wrong. I can no. defend Ronald D. E. Moore and Sidney Newman until until you know, I'm blue in the face, but I cannot criticize your picks at all.
2: And I would have, and like I said, I almost picked Sydney Newman as well. So I mean, it was it was a tough it was a tough choice. And and every time we do this for the respective. Uh, categories throughout the season, it's going to be tough.
1: Absolutely. So I think, JP, I think maybe we should ask our audience which of the two people we've mentioned belong in those final two slots.
0: Absolutely, I think so.
1: So, listeners, here are your picks for the last two slots. Uh, JP, if you would go over your two one more time.
0: Uh, yes, my two are Matt Groening and Mitchell Rubenstein and Laurie Silvers. Ed? Uh, I would say it would be between Bruce Timm and George
2: R. R. Martin.
1: And I've got Sidney Newman and Ronald D. Moore. Of those six, who belongs with Serling and Roddenberry on the Mount Rushmore of television? You can also give us your own picks. Uh, we want to hear from you on those. But remember, when we get the final four, those are going to be going to the big finale of this Mount Rushmore series when we decide who goes on the Mount Rushmore for nerd culture as a whole. So your voice will make a difference.
0: Yes, and you can submit your picks uh, at feedback at gmail.com. You can also comment on this episode on Podbean, I know for a fact. Um, yes. I, do Do they allow comments on individual episodes on Google Play or iTunes? Do you know?
1: I do not think so, uh, but okay. you can always send me comments uh, with the subject line of this episode, the title, or you can send us tweets, and we will get them uh, for this episode when we yeah.
0: Re- yeah, so our you... next
1: re- our next recording uh, several weeks out. We'll, we'll be able to have that feedback in a later episode.
0: Absolutely. You can tweet us at B Podcast, or uh, my my Twitter handle is at Potatoes of Shame, um, and yeah. Without further ado, so, I. I I'm sorry, I think actually
1: what I'm going to do I just thought of this a great way to use our Twitter account because we have over uh, 2,600 followers so thank you all for following Ooh. what I'm going to do is in the, the days following the release of this episode I'm going to have a poll for each of our two individually so Ronald D e. Moore versus Sydney Newman uh, and then your picks etc against one another and then with the top vote getter from those each of those three all three of those will be against one another in the final poll and that will be the official result uh, for how we determine which of those is going to go on the Mount Rushmore. The top two of those three will go on Mount Rushmore.
0: That sounds fantastic to me. Uh,
1: so that's how we'll determine it. Uh, and, but if you want to do a vote that's not on Twitter, if you're not on Twitter, if you want to vote, send us emails. I will count them in the total. Um, so, we'll, so we still want those uh, votes. But So watch out in the next few days. The first poll will go out. Tomorrow, we've we'll, we released on a Thursday, so tomorrow on Friday, so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll have the first three polls, and then during the week, next week, we will have the poll of the three, uh, to decide which of the two will go on Mount Rushmore with Rod Serling and Gene Roddenberry. And once we have those four, I really want to see some fan art. This is, this is calling for fan art. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I, I know I can't draw, so I'm I'm looking no, to the listeners for this one.
1: I'm still waiting for FDR with Captain America's shield as part of his wheelchair wheels. I'm just
0: saying, <laughs> I'm
1: waiting for that one. That'll who, who make was, everything worthwhile.
2: Who who was Teddy Roosevelt in that episode?
1: Uh, I made TR Captain America. Uh, Colleen and Matt made TR Iron Man.
2: Oh,
0: oh no, I, definitely I, Captain America. I, I made JFK I Iron thought. Man. I would have thought TR would have made an excellent Hulk, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Um, Matt made uh, Truman Hulk because once Truman got angry, things got blown up.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh,
2: Good choice.
0: It's, it's so simple, but so perfect. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was that.
0: Wow. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, on that note, I think we only have one more final order of business to take care of, and... I believe that that is going to go to Ed. Ed, will you please kill Jar Jar? I have been waiting two seasons for this. Oh, my God. And in an
2: episode where we referenced George R.R. R. Martin and Joss Whedon. Well, George R.R. Martin and Joss Whedon had determined that it was time for Jar Jar to die. So they elected to tie him to a stake... Surrounded by kindling, and fired flaming arrows into the kindling until the gungan was ash. Jar Jar is no more. Thank you, George R. R.
0: Martin and Joss Whedon. Dead ash. Well, that's what would have happened. Unfortunately, that show got canceled before it could.
1: <laughs> Jar Jar's a victim of premature cancellation.
0: <laughs> that was if uh, you know Fox had a heavier hand in it. There, there, you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well well done, Ed, well done. And can I just say how much fun it's been hosting B&Q for the past couple of weeks. Yes. There's, uh, there's one thing that I want to say, a little behind-the-scenes note for our listeners, is that there's a reason why, unlike most podcasts out there, we don't have closing credits where someone reads them off. First off, no one can read that fast and that, clearly. Um, and secondly, it would just be Josh's name over and over again this, this series was created by Josh Hager. The series is hosted by Josh Hager. It's edited by Josh Hager. Ra- writing is done by Josh Hager. So on and so forth down the line, we get mentioned as panelists each week. But that that is a big reason why we don't have closing credits and this show would would not be what it is without Josh. So thank you, Josh, for letting me do this for a couple of weeks. No, thank
1: you. Uh, for And I will officially take back the reins after the two-week uprising. Uh, <laughs> uh, so thank you very much, JP uh, and Ed. And next time on B&Q, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be jumping into one of the biggest questions in the history of video gaming. We're going to be jumping into the differences between Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Uh, So it's time for some role-playing next time on B&Q, so get out your favorite costumes and have your shouts ready. Uh, (laughs) Until until then, Sruvada!
0: Yes, thank you very much, guys. And uh, I look forward to getting this opportunity again, and I look forward to our next recording. Well, um... That's it, guys. Jar Jar is dead, but B&Q lives on. For Ed. Thank you, sir. And Josh.
1: It's been a pleasure, sir.
0: This is JP saying good fight, good night.